Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season tonight. Uh, we're doing kind of an off-the-cuff episode with Mike from Charm City Paranormal, basically because, well, I saw you post something about a really spooky experience you had on one of your investigations, and it seemed like above and beyond, so I wanted to be the first one to kind of jump on the opportunity to hear the story. Awesome, man. Yeah, don't blame you. It was... Uh it's a very eventful evening, for sure. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. So before we dive in, um, can you give a little synopsis of who you are, what you do, and how you started doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Mike. Um, I started Charm City Paranormal sometime last year in the middle of the summer. And originally, I was going to do urban exploration videos and just kind of you know, get a feel for old decayed things. I, I really like old architecture and history and you know, getting some insight as to how we used to live, you know, 50 and 100 years ago. And I do a lot of that through exploring old buildings. And one day I was just with a friend. We were exploring an old asylum. And, you know, at the time I, I wasn't really paying attention to paranormal or, you know, strange things going on around me. I just, again, I was just there to explore. And I had a really crazy, unexplained event happen to me while I was there that kind of changed my beliefs on everything and how I look at the paranormal and I dived headfirst in and I haven't looked back since. What was that experience? I know we're here to hear about a different experience but is there is there like a short version of that one? Long story short I was going through one of the main uh, wards of the hospital and as I was rounding a corner to go through a doorway I heard like this crazy disembodied growl scream moan it sounded like it almost sounded like it had several pitches of voice but it was it like went from a really low to really high and it like all came together at once <laughs> and it was like this really weird ethereal growl and i didn't even bother to look down the hallway at what it was i just remember hearing it i froze for what felt like forever and then i turned around and i ran out and we only spent like five minutes collecting ourselves before going back in. And when we went back in, there are these giant like size 15 bare feet prints going through a puddle leading up to where we were standing. And my theory is had we not run out, I felt like they would have got closer to us, but they stopped like five feet from where we were like Bigfoot sized. <laughs> Was there any chance that you had missed that? while you were in there and we're seeing it just now like were they old was there any way to tell if they were new footprints or i mean they were, there was still a little bit of puddling in the center of the footprints so it was uh -huh. it looked relatively fresh and Ugh. knowing that place i knew we were the only ones there that day i mean we had walked the entire property we had filmed every building went through every inch of that place and there was no one there and even when we went back in, we went through the entire building and looked around and we didn't see anybody or hear anybody. And I have the pictures and to this day, I can't explain it. Like there's one, <laughs> there's a set of prints that's two left feet and they're identical. They look exactly the same, same size, same shape. And they're both like right next to each other. And it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. And I just got super fascinated with all of this and I've been in it ever since. Longtime listeners of the show might know that my first three episodes that I ever put out on YouTube in 2013 were about my own version of this uh, urban exploring trying to scare ourselves in high school. We had no idea what we were doing and we had some experiences that we couldn't really explain. So I'm, I'm getting goosebumps because I know that feeling of 
um, for us, it was, I had a fear of mirrors and all my friends went in a room first and were like, oh, there's a mirror in here. Just like stand in the hallway. And while I was standing there, the light from the flashlights was kind of sweeping across the floor. And as it did, it caught something in the corner that looked like a person crouched down. And I saw it stand up and walk around the corner before I was able to create my voice again and call for the guys. We all ran out and ran around the corner and there was a bat flying up in the air. But then that ended up disappearing. It flew over our heads and was gone. And then, you know, we we have no idea what that was. It's and it's I think it's the only time I've actually ever seen something. I've been on a handful of ghost hunts or paranormal investigations over the past several years and I've never physically seen anything other than that one time. And that's usually the most terrifying you only have to see it once and you're like, Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was enough. I, I mean this was before well before I ever got involved in writing scary stories or podcasts or TikTok or anything like that. It was like the you know, the genesis of all of that for me. So I've been following you since Haunting season had a resurgence. So we kind of started roughly around the same time. You started in summer, and then I started in October. You were one of the first few people that I really started meaningfully following on Instagram. Because you take amazing photos. And the places you. you go, you not only are able to capture them with your words and with your experience, but also with your camera in both photos and now in video and small documentaries as well. How did you get involved in the like the multimedia part of it that actually happened by chance originally i was doing live streams on twitch you know the pandemic had hit there wasn't really anything to do a lot of people were shutting down their businesses or losing their jobs and things like that i was unfortunately one of those people and i you know being a busy person i I just had to find a way to keep myself occupied and originally i'd started out live streaming and i was either watching urbex videos or playing horror games or just doing stuff around that general theme and somebody or actually a few people had offered the idea of going out and doing a live urbex so i go out and before i even get to the location i tell the chat you know this place doesn't really have good service if for any reason i lose service and i can't do this live stream i will record it and i will upload it to youtube we'll watch it on the live stream together Eventually I get there, the service doesn't work, so I start recording, and then that super crazy moment happened where I heard that disembodied scream or growl or whatever, so it sort of prompted me to go through all of the footage and watch all of it, and I immediately became obsessed. I loved the process of crafting videos and looking for evidence and just trying to create a visual story of my own. So I went from live streaming to just recording, and now that's that's all I do. I don't even live stream anymore. This comes to the point in any of these stories, because I've been the one telling them often, where there's somebody saying, like, okay, but, like, how much do you ham it up? You know, like, we always go back to Zach Baggins, right? The drama queen mm-hmm. of all paranormal investigations. When you're in that heightened state of looking for something paranormal, you're in this spooky place, like a haunted asylum or an abandoned house where it has remnants of the past all around you it's easy to get really worked up. So I have multiple questions here. One, how do you keep yourself from just getting so freaked out that you run away? That'll be my first question. A lot of it is is practice. It's exposing yourself to those situations and getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. 
I can tell you now that starting out, I was absolutely terrified. And when I would go out with my friend who goes out on all my investigations with me, we would have, you know, five lights running at all times and there would be no darkness anywhere. And if we heard any kind of noise, we would panic. But I think just constantly doing it and starting to understand like being able to debunk things is very important while you're out because you have to be able to separate this from reality. You know, if you mm-hmm. hear a pipe banging or, you know, the building is settling or whatever, the wind slams the door. It's really just a matter of trying to find it's it's trying to debunk it first. And if there's no like plausible explanation for it, then we kind of move over to paranormal. But I always try to debunk and break things down first, and that really keeps me grounded because I know that 90% of things have an explanation, so it just doesn't make sense to freak out about every little thing, you know? Maybe in the beginning, but the longer you do it, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, so you don't tend to freak out as much. And then the second half of it is um, you're creating content. So are there times where you're allowing that to slip for entertainment value or uh, in order to heighten a moment for yourself? Like, do you lean into the scariness of it at all for, for the sake of the content? Typically, no, just because if I work myself up, then it it's going to last the entire time that we're there. And there's no calming down from it unless we like leave the building or take a break. I'm going to be freaked out the whole time. I would say this most recent trip that we did in Iowa for the two locations, there's a lot more freaking out than usual because this isn't like some old abandoned building where, you know, people are also a threat. We had the whole place to ourselves and we knew we were the only ones there. So there's definitely a lot of moments where I panic. I don't want to go too much into detail for the next episode that's coming out, but I will say that I got touched forcibly twice Uh, alone and I definitely freaked out I cussed more than any human being could cuss (laughs) and just absolutely lost my mind so you'll see that but most of the time I try to just stay level-headed because people who like to watch ghost videos for the evidence and and solely for the evidence they don't want to listen to somebody screaming and panicking and and you know things like that yeah it, it adds to the entertainment value but I feel like if you're there to watch evidence, which is what I'm trying to film, I I don't want to panic because I don't want to take away from that experience. So it's, it's easy to freak out depending on the situation, but I don't know. I guess you just got to have nerves of steel sometimes and just deal with it. So let's dive into the story as much as you feel comfortable telling. I know you have content that you're creating. What can you tell us about that experience? What can you walk us through? Originally, we weren't even, I, I wasn't even thinking about going to the Velisca Axe House. I had seen Edinburgh Manor, Edinburgh Manor, I still don't know how to pronounce it. I've seen Edinburgh Manor online a couple of times and it looked very exciting. It looked like a place that I would want to investigate. There was people getting tons of evidence and activity and just reading online about all the stories. It sounded like a very promising place. So I originally wanted to stop there. Ethan, who is my investigative partner and my friend, he had suggested, let's do the Axe House while we're out there. It's only a few hours away from Edinburgh, and we're going to go all this way. We might as well do both. So I said, okay, let's do it. I set up the the dates and reserved the house for the night. And getting there, you know, you're building up that anxiety, that, that tension. You don't know what to expect. A million different thoughts are going through your head until you pull up. And then there was kind of like this sense of both relief that we finally got there after all this time, but also nervousness because it's like, what, what's in that house? You know, 
I, I didn't do any research prior to investigating it other than the history of the house and what had happened to the family. I didn't watch any videos. I didn't read about any paranormal evidence or activity that goes on. I just wanted to go and experience it for myself. So coming from an urban exploring background and then and then working into paranormal investigating, do you do the investigating now only at night or do you do stuff during the day? Do you think it matters the time of day or night that you're, you're doing this stuff? No, not at all. In fact, the crazy thing that got me into the paranormal in the first place happened at 4 p.m in the afternoon so i if a place is haunted i don't think that the time of day really matters some places seem to be more active at night whereas some other places seem to be more active during the day i really think it boils down to the person and the type of energy that they're putting off into the world or into the space that they're in that will attract whatever is there to them but yeah it it really doesn't matter if if a place is haunted it's haunted okay so you're pulling up to the axe house uh what time of day is it it's 5 30 in the evening it's actually kind of cloudy there's a bit of overcast so it's not super bright outside at first i didn't even think anybody was there because i didn't see any vehicles it's this very small town there's one gas station three blocks up the road and then it's just cornfields for miles so you know, there's there's not a whole lot of people here. It's a very small community. And I pull in and I see a couple people standing off to like the right of the house behind the barn. And I walk up to him. I ask him about how to get into the house that we have a reservation for the night. He says, just go into the barn. He's already in there waiting for you. So I go in and John is the caretaker of the axe house. He actually lives right next door, which I'll get into that in a minute too. He has a really cool backstory as to why he's there. But We go in, we sign the waivers, we do the typical check-in stuff, and he starts to explain to us, you know, things about the house, just the general gist of of activity and and what to expect. Um, I asked him not to get too, like, go too much into detail about it, just because I didn't want it to kind of trickle over into my experience. I wanted mine to be my own. So he walked us through the house. It was about a 30-minute tour, and he just explained each situation as it happened in each room you know where the axe murderer came in first who he killed first who he moved to and the whole time that we were in there there wasn't this vibe that there was even anything there there's sometimes you can walk into a place and it's almost electrifying like you feel it the minute that you walk into the the space it's all the hair stands up on your body you get this sense of dread this You just, you feel it. I I really don't know any other way to explain it other than it's just a feeling that you get. And when we walked in, it just felt like a normal house. It didn't even feel like anything was there. John basically gave us the rundown of what we can and can't do. And then he left. He gave us the keys and he left. For a little while, we had just walked around. We were doing B-roll and taking pictures and, and trying to get familiar with the layout of the house. And... As soon as I decided to go into the attic, this was around 6, 6.30, I walked into the attic by myself. Ethan was downstairs outside, and there's a chair in the attic. And as soon as I sat down, the whole room started spinning, like, immediately. I I felt drunk. As soon as I touched onto that chair, it's like, I got this vertigo, like, whoa. And when I stood up, it was still there. It wasn't until I went back downstairs and went out out of the house that that feeling went away. Have you ever experienced anything like that before? One other time. It's actually in my most recent video in Letchworth Village. We were in the hospital, and I had to leave. I couldn't stay anymore. It was getting so intense that I almost fell over a few times. 
I, I just couldn't focus or think or even see clearly. When I was in Annie Wilder's house in Minnesota, it was about like 3.45 in the morning, and I told the whole group, it was my very first time doing like an official paranormal investigation. I had been in abandoned places, and mm-hmm. I had been looking for ghosts, but I hadn't been with a team before, and... I had kind of been getting into the spirit of it the whole time. I came in very, you know, not with any judgment, but just, you know, had my guard up of like, let's see if this is a hoax or whatever. And I called Mm -hmm. everyone. I said, I I just feel this strong feeling. we got to go into this back kitchen over there. And when I got there, it felt like I was inside of a Coca-Cola bottle with like bubbles swarming around me. And I got pins and needles like when your arm falls asleep from top of my head to the tips of my toes it was really disorienting yeah that's so a good way I, to describe it too because yeah, that I, resonates. I couldn't really yeah that that that's a really good way to describe it kind of like spinning in a coke bottle and the <laughs> pins and needles I, I that's pretty much how i felt when i was up in the attic it's just like a drunk feeling almost yeah and and disorienting and overwhelming and almost like uh otherworldly like you might just be like carried up any moment um, mm-hmm. into the air <laughs> yeah exactly okay so you go downstairs what happens next I go downstairs, we start setting up all of our camera equipment, we decided to kind of go all out with this episode, so we brought multiple cameras to set up multiple angles, static cameras, lighting, and for several hours, we, we rolled the cameras, but we really didn't do anything, we just wanted to settle into the house to see if the house would do anything while we were there without asking. And it started out pretty subtle. We'd hear some taps and some knocks and some disembodied whispers and things of that nature. And it would start to spook us a little bit. We'd go outside and take a break. And eventually we went to go get some dinner and we just kind of took a break in the car. And around 930 is when the actual investigation began. When we started rolling cameras, asking questions, bringing out devices and trigger objects and things like that. And... Within 10 minutes of being in that house, I had completely forgotten why I was there. The only thing that I could think about was what happened to those kids. This is during the investigation or or the earlier part of kind of sitting and settling in? No, this is during the investigation. We had started at 9.30. By 9.45, I was walking outside. It, it, I don't, I don't know how to describe that house to like a typical person, just a viewer or somebody who enjoys watching ghost hunting videos because I feel like that house is so much more than just a cheap thrill or a ghost hunt or, you know, a sad story. Um, when I was in there, it there was like this emotion that took over within, like I said, 10 or 15 minutes of investigating to where I couldn't focus on why I was there or what we were doing. I could only focus on what happened to those children and how it made me feel. And it was like an overwhelming feeling. It wasn't just typical, I'm sad, I feel sorry for this family. It was all I could think about. It it completely consumed every thought in my head. It sounds like a panic 10 attack. 10 minutes. Yeah. It sounds it like was that like, circular thinking when you, you just can't let go of the one thing that just keeps coming and coming and coming until you're completely overwhelmed. Yeah, it... it just sat with me the entire time and I was we were upstairs in the kids room and Ethan had gone into the attic I guess to ask questions by himself and I I have it on video I just sit there and sort of dissociate and could not stop thinking about those kids and because because I have nieces and nephews you know I'm an uncle and I couldn't imagine 
something like that happening to such young kids, you know, six, and two of them weren't even family members. It's just, you, you hear about it online, you read about it, you watch videos, but then you actually go to the house and you sit on the same bed that these kids were axed in their sleep, and it just... It's, it's different. It's a different feeling. It's nothing like watching it. It's nothing like reading about it. And I had to walk out. I left. And I stood outside for like 20 minutes and I just kept saying to myself over and over, like, I can't believe you did this. I can't, I can't believe that you did this. And I go back in and Ethan is still upstairs. He's by himself. I can hear him talking through the ceiling. And I just walked around for half an hour of the like the first 30 minutes of the video I just I was so angry and I taunted the killer and I provoked him and I called him all kinds of things and said all kinds of things about him and called him a coward and called him pathetic and this that and the other and everything that you could think of in the book and um, I was like why don't you do something to me why don't you uh, why don't you grab that axe of yours and, and come after me I'm we're gonna be why? staying here all what, night what's what's you're scaring the hell out of me because <laughs> Because <laughs> isn't that like I, what I you're not know. supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to like exactly uh, conjure or threaten the entity or whatever. Is this because you're in an emotional state, or is this like you know what? Fuck this guy! I'm I'm coming after him. Or where's your head at? I don't know. That's the thing. <laughs> oh man, this when I go in there, it's my thoughts aren't my own. Ethan's thoughts weren't his own. I mean, throughout the whole night, just to kind of, I'm going to skip ahead a little before I come back, but just to kind of give you an idea of where our minds are this whole time, we were saying and doing things that we, like, were no control of until we walked out of the house. And it just felt so strange for him to, like, suggest that we sleep in the beds or me to suggest that we sleep in the beds and just get some rest and then walk outside and be like, why the hell did we say that? Why, why would you even think of something like that? It's like this emotion is taking over and I don't know why. And I just couldn't shake this anger and this sadness for this family and anger at what this person had done. I, and I, I don't mean like a typical, you know, getting cut off on the road and being mad for five minutes and getting over it. I mean, this was like consuming me. It was all I could think about. And that's why I did what I did. It's just like it almost came out in autopilot. I just started taunting and provoking. And I, I thinking about it now, I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. Wow. As the night went on, once I did that, it seemed to have woken up what was ever, whatever was there. And just the whole night, it would either it would either mess with us mentally and start making us feel emotions that weren't our own or feelings that weren't our own, or it would ramp up as far as like the physical aspect of things. And it, you would hear boots above us at the same time that you know a device would go off downstairs at the same time that a door would open at the same time that something would tap in the kitchen. At the same time that you feel a gust of wind, I mean, all of this would happen in a matter of five seconds. It was just so much activity throughout the entire night. And I think when it really took a turn for the worst is when we decided to do an Estes method, which for people who aren't familiar with that, it is essentially using yourself as a means of communication. You blindfold yourself and you put on noise canceling headphones and you plug those headphones into a spirit box and you sit alone in a room while another person in another room talks through a walkie-talkie into the device. And the idea is that the person with the headphones on can't hear the questions that you're asking. 
They're only blurting out the responses that they're getting from the spirit box. They say it out loud. And then later on, you go back and you review and see if the questions match any of the answers. I'm smiling and laughing because I'm nervous. Um, (laughs) Because this just sounds like (laughs) the most unbelievable setup for, you know, I've I've done stuff uh, on these investigations with flashlights and there's, you know, science behind it. um, The coils expanding while they cool and and warm, you know, and and trying to work through like, okay, are, are these lights turning on and off while... Um, like on command or is it because of what's going on inside of the flashlight? You know, like all, all sorts of stuff like that. This to me seems like from uh, the, the few investigations I've been on, probably one of the most fail safe ways of using a, a spirit box and having it, it be scientific. Oh yeah. And we've done this. We've done this like a dozen times since starting this. And I can tell you that this Estes method was by far the most terrifying one that I've ever done. I think it'll be the most terrifying (laughs) one that we will ever do. I've sat in the middle of like deep forests and done the Estes method in the middle of the woods at 3 a.m. blindfolded and it did not bother me. And we were in a house that was maybe 800 square feet and it was more terrifying than any massive asylum or like any hospital or whatever that you could ever think of. And so I didn't do the Estes this time. I'm usually the one that does it. And I've noticed that the last four or five times that we've done it, I'm usually the one that always does it. I volunteer myself. Meaning the one with the headphones on listening to the spirit box. Right. Uh Right. And Ethan will ask the questions through the walkie talkie and I'll answer what I hear. And I figured, you know, maybe this time Ethan would like to do it. I kind of you know, just jump on it without asking if he'd like to. So I asked him this time, I said, do you want to do it? He said, sure. So he sat in the attic where the killer supposedly hid and waited for the family to go to sleep. And I sat in the children's bedroom right next to him. And we sort of broke a rule with it because I'm technically not supposed to hear his answers and I have to go somewhere else. But this house is just so terrifying and so it's so powerful. The, the feeling is so strong that we didn't want to split up from each other. We wanted to remain as close to each other as we could. So I was in the room next to him. So I could hear him, but he couldn't hear me. I get why you don't want him to hear the question. That makes sense to me. What's the thought behind you not hearing the answer? Wouldn't that just help guide the session? You know, I'm honestly not sure. Um, I think it has something to do with... I guess like manipulating the footage or manipulating the responses because if I can hear him then there's a chance that you know maybe something can get cut somewhere else and I could you know it's I think it's like a manipulation of footage thing I don't entirely know I just gotcha. know it's that just another it's removing another variable got it so this this right. doesn't seem like you guys are breaking any significant rules that would rule out this entire test it's just no, for safety all. reasons you guys are sticking together yeah, and, and again, it's just because of the, the way that that place made us feel the whole time that we were there leading up to this moment. So I even asked him, I was like, you know, are you okay with me just sitting right next door this time? He's like, yeah, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go far, like, downstairs and outside to do this. I want you to be in the house with me in case anything happens. So yeah. we're, we start the test, and as soon as he puts the headphones on, I haven't even asked my first question yet, and he's already blurting out responses. And... Normally when we do this, we'll ask, uh, we have like a 
like a list of questions that we typically ask. How old are you? You know, are you the original owner of this land, of this home? Are you okay with us being here? You know, but we decided to kind of focus on the topic at hand with the house involving the murders and the situation with the killer breaking in and and just questions around that. I believe one of the first questions I had asked, I asked if it wanted to hurt Ethan or I, or or me, and it said, fuck you, kill you all. Ha ha. Okay. All right. Right off the bat. (laughs) Um, And I started asking questions around the family. You know, do you have, I, I asked, do you have any remorse for what you did? No. If you were alive today, would you do it again? Yes, absolutely. Haha. Would you hurt us if you had the chance to? Yes. Kill you all. I, I, I've never gotten direct responses like that in my life doing this. I don't think I'll ever get responses like that again. I know for a fact that Ethan couldn't hear me, and I 110% trust Ethan because we met each other ghost hunting. You know, it's not like this is an old friend of mine and I pulled him into it. We were both at haunted locations when we first met so well, he you guys is don't just have, into this as i am yeah i mean like it's not like you have you know five million viewers that you need to entertain and you're putting out content like every week you guys are exactly. taking your time making the content you want to create putting it out once a month it just you guys it's, don't fit the formula of anyone who would be lying about this as, as far as i can tell <laughs> I, I started this because of my experiences that I exactly. had, you know, and, and just to give even more context to it, I didn't grow up watching ghost adventures and, and ghost hunters and all that stuff. I, I wasn't even into the paranormal until 18 months ago. And it, and it's because of my experiences with it that I had myself is why I got into it. So I really don't know what to say beyond that. It's like, I get people who grow up on it and they love it and, you know, it's been with them their whole lives and they decide to finally take the leap. And for me, it was just like I got kind of pulled into it. I have one more question before we get into more of what happened during this test. So I did ghost hunts for, I don't know, maybe like two years. Uh, Like every Mm -hmm. three months, I would go to Minnesota with this group and and film with them. My rule was always, I don't want to go anywhere where there's been a murder or any sort of like dark energy. We picked only places that had like happy ghosts. You know, like, oh, there's a little boy upstairs who plays with a red ball. You know, like, <laughs> what, yeah. after only being into this for a year, what made you want to go into an axe murder house? I think it was the experience and wanting to see it for myself. I'm very hard-headed when it comes to stuff like that. I don't take people's word for anything. I have to go and, you know, deal with it myself in order to say, okay, this is haunted or, you know, this is bad anything. I think it was really just the experience. It was trying to go do one of the hardest paranormal investigations, if not the hardest one, and understand what's happening and just be prepared for something like that in the future. Because I can tell you right now, I've never ran into anything like that. I hope to never run into anything like that again. But it has prepared me for so much. And I think that's why I wanted to do it. Okay. I don't want to stray us too far. So the the test is going on. You've just been told, like, I'd love to kill you. I'd love to kill everyone. Where does it go from yeah. there? 
So we continue to ask, or I continue to ask questions circulating around the family, and it just continues to taunt me, and I'm getting instant responses to everything that I'm, I'm asking to the point to where I just cut it off. I couldn't hear it anymore. I couldn't listen to this thing taunt me and taunt this family and taunt my friend who it's essentially using as a vessel. So I grab Ethan. I open the door. I grab him. I say, we're done. Let's go outside. Let's take a break. We come back into the house, only this time when we walk in, that electrifying feeling that I was telling you about earlier, it hits me in full force. I don't, I can't really speak for Ethan on that, but for me, as soon as I walked in the house, it was almost like a gust of wind, like electrifying wind hit me, and all the hair on my body stands up, and I, I can feel my heart skip a beat, like anxiety almost, that just comes from absolutely nowhere. We decide to set up some devices both in the kitchen and the living room and start doing tests. I have these motion-activated cat balls I want to grab and show you real quick. I've been seeing these crop up quite a bit lately, and these are these little motion toys. Mm. You know, you shake it, it lights up, but it can't light up unless it's moved. This sat dead still on Lena's bed and was lighting up directly to my questions as I was asking them instantly. I asked if it was Lena, it would immediately light up. I asked if it was okay if we were here, it immediately light it, lighted up. I asked if there was still something evil here, it didn't light up. It stopped lighting up. But I've never, I've taken this thing so many times and never seen it go off that I stopped taking them. But I figured this time I would take it because there were children involved and maybe one of the children would like to play with it. This thing was going nuts the whole time. And even then, I, I just recently went out for like a short group trip to take some friends out. And this did not go off at all. All my stuff usually collects dust because I just get tired of lugging it around all the time. So I'll pick one or two things to take and see if anything goes off. But a lot of the times it doesn't. And that, that gives us a lot of confirmation when it does because we're so used to not seeing anything happen that when it does, it's like, okay, we know we're in for something now. But all night, it just constantly it was trying to split us up it made me feel terrible for whatever reason i don't know why but i just kept getting this overwhelming feeling of anger and frustration and just like short-tempered the whole time that i was in the house and as soon as i'd walk outside within five minutes it would completely go away my friend ethan was just feeling sadness and guilt the whole time you know trying to talk to him it, it was like he was depressed like he just found out some terrible news and then he'd go outside and he'd be fine again. Towards the end of the night, I started taunting it again. Again, I, I don't know why. I <laughs> just It just came about and I'm just like, you're this and you're that. and I hope you're proud about what you did and you're pathetic and all this other stuff. I don't know. It, it tried to get us to stay. At one point in time, I did lay in one of the beds. I just got super tired out of absolutely nowhere and got comfy in one of the beds. And Ethan was trying to film and I said, come on, man, let's just go to sleep. It's... 1 30 in the morning i'm super tired he's like you really want to stay here you want to sleep in that bed and i was like yeah i don't see what the problem is he's like let's let's go outside for a minute man and i'm like no 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 no. just go climb in that other bed let's go to sleep he's like no i think you need to come outside with me like right now and i go outside with him and five minutes later i'm like i just look at him and i go why did i say that why did i even consider for one second that we should sleep in any of those beds or even sleep in this house. He's like, I don't know. That's why I pulled you out. I, I don't know why 
you thought that that was a good idea. We were so dead set on staying in that house, man. Like we we drove twenty hours to be there. Yeah, it took us three days. And it's like we didn't drive all this way just to chicken out and run away when things get tough. And we definitely did. At 2.30 in the morning, it started getting so intense. It started picking back up to where, I mean, there were boots running above us. All of our devices were going off. There was, like, doors moving and opening and closing. And toys were getting moved around. We're getting pushed. We're getting touched. We're hearing like whispering in our ears all at once. Typically, this type of stuff, it, it'll space itself out and you'll get a tap. And then an hour later, you'll hear a disembodied whisper. And then an hour later, you might get another device that goes off. And this thing was just like nonstop, nonstop the whole time. Um, right before we had walked out for like the second time, we're standing in the blue room. And the blue room is Lena and Ina's room. I think that's their names. And that was supposedly one of the most active rooms in the house. Um, going back on some history about that place, there was an investigator there back in 2015, 2016. He went in there alone. Okay. No. First of all, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm hearing he stayed you there. having one other person there, and I'm like, no. I mean, like, five. No. He went there alone, and he stayed in the house the entire night, okay? He didn't take breaks like it was recommended to. You're supposed to walk out, like, every 20 or 30 minutes. It's it's just too much. It's too overwhelming, and it starts to mess with you mentally, and it starts to manipulate you. And if you don't go out and take a breather, then it's going to get a full grip on you. And I think that's what happened to this guy. He was very upset about the house and what had happened, and he was there to give it a piece of his mind he was sitting in the blue room taunting provoking and he woke up in the hospital and come to find out he had seen a bright white ball of light come out of the closet door and that's the last thing that he remembered turns out this guy pulled out a pocket knife and stabbed himself in the chest and almost bled out he died twice on the way to the hospital and police did full investigation there's no foul play involved. It was all over the news out there in the Midwest. And it, I think it went national. But this guy stabbed himself and doesn't remember doing it. Okay. And that was in the blue room. Before him, the homeowners, the original homeowners, or not the original, but the people who had bought the house after the murders. He was sitting in the kitchen sharpening a knife with a whetstone and dropped the whetstone and sliced his hand wide open. Just out of the clear blue for no reason. And that's why they tell you to take breaks. And we didn't take breaks. So we were in the blue room for almost an hour. I, I started to get like aggravated with Ethan for no reason at all. At that point, we had started seeing things in the room. That was kind of like your situation where, you know, you, you haven't seen anything while doing this. I've only seen something once. And even then I questioned it. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it was like a, you know, reflection or, or a lightning bug or, you know, just trying to find a reason to rationalize it but i saw this almost like a clear smudge just go right behind ethan and I, I i watched it form smudge across like distort the the image of the air behind him and then vanish and as i'm telling him about it he sees it go in front of me and then something grabs me by my hip and as he looks down at it he sees four white little fingers peek around my hip he he freaked out and he ran out but it just started to get so intense in that room that we ended up walking out and sitting out there for 
like we sat outside for about half an hour before even going back in and i think at that point we had it was around 2 two thirty. we had packed up and completely left the property we couldn't take it anymore it ran us out of the house and it was storming it was like pouring rain lightning bolts in the sky and it was it was like the perfect setup for the scariest shit you could ever see and we we ran through the rain got in the car and drove 20 minutes away and got a hotel it it reminds me of those stories of um this is a bizarre connection but like when bill murray shows up to some party and like shakes some guy's hand as he's walking in he, he goes no one will ever believe you you know, and then disappears into the party and he's like, fuck, that was Bill Murray. Like, I feel like this axe murderer was like, I'm going to grab your hips and there's no way anyone's ever going to believe you. No one is ever going to. And we've, we even tried to go back on the footage and he didn't, you don't see it on the, his camera is just like this at my waist and you don't see anything. So what about nothing. auditory stuff? Cause I feel like that more often pops up. Um, do you have like recordings of the, the feet running upstairs and stuff like that? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't even really gone through any of that footage yet just because I've been trying to chop up the Edinburgh episode and get that out as soon as possible. But I have kind of skimmed through the axe house, and there is one part right at the end. We're in the kitchen, and I had asked the murderer, I said, can you do something one last time for us before we go make a noise of some sort? And you can hear it sounds like heavy boots thudding across the floor upstairs and in real time it's really loud Uh, you can feel the vibrations of the feet hitting the wood and you can hear it just as clearly in the video audio too i think it's amazing because a lot of the times i have to boost that audio or do something to like enhance it so people can hear what's going on Mm -hmm. and this i don't have to do anything you hear it just raw unprocessed audio of this like boom 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 across the floor and Ethan goes let's get out of here let's go and I'm like all right let's go yeah you hear all you hear all the footsteps that go on you hear the doors opening you hear I I set up static cameras that have devices going off in different parts of the room and the cameras facing that so I have yet to check that footage but I guess to summarize that house we went in there thinking that we were hot shit and that we were going to hunt some ghosts and get to the bottom of the mystery and we ran out of there with our tails tucked between our legs there's no amount of experience ghost hunting there's no amount of haunted places that you could go to that will prepare you for what's in that house johnny made a really good point that stuck out to me after we had left he said that house whatever's in there it'll be whatever you want it to be if you want it to be the children it'll be the children if you want it to be the killer, it'll be the killer. If you want it to be the parents, it's the parents. And really going through everything, like like mentally replaying the events in my head, the situations that we dealt with, comparing them to other situations that we had in the past. I'm not an expert in this stuff. That's why I went ahead and let you know very early on that I just started doing this a year ago. But... I tend to do a lot of research and a lot. I dive headfirst into everything that I do. And at some point in time, I did do research on demons and demonic activity. I think whatever's there is demonic. I think whatever's there knows how to scare you and feed on your fears specifically to you. I think for as long as that house is standing, it's always going to be there. The family left a long time ago. Those kids aren't there anymore. The husband and the wife aren't there anymore. They've moved on. They've found peace. But whatever is there, even if it's not demonic, it's extremely negative. It is very, very evil. 
it just it'll terrorize you in a way that you've never been terrorized before it'll make you feel things that you've never felt it'll make you think things that you would never think you'll start believing things that you wouldn't believe in normal circumstances it's just it's the ultimate mind game the ultimate mind game so speaking of the mind what has your mental health been like over the past week or so leaving that place and and being away from it because I know if, if, if it is something demonic, I know that those things can latch on to people. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like with all the people going in and out of there, it doesn't seem like that was the goal of whatever this is. Because if it, if mm-hmm. it did, it would have latched on to that guy who stabbed himself, if anybody else, you know. So, so where has your mental health been throughout the, the aftermath of all this? It's been a little up and down. I definitely have caught myself, especially in the beginning, like right after we left. I'd say the first three or four days... I could definitely tell that there was something wrong. Um, not sure specifically what. I could just, I felt myself getting really aggravated at stuff that I would normally never get aggravated or mad about. I started kind of reclusing for like the first week that I was home. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't picking up the phone. I wasn't responding to messages. I just kind of sat here and brooded over my evidence and dug through that for hours and hours and hours every day. I would say in the last few days, actually, things have started to feel a little bit more normal. I don't feel as aggravated, as agitated, but I don't think, even if it were something demonic or evil, I don't think it would attach to me just simply because it has a never-ending rotation of fresh people going into that house every day to feed on, you know what I mean? So why pick one guy out of the thousands of people that have been there to latch on and come home with me you know i'm nobody special why don't feed off of me just stay in the house where you belong this is your kingdom i I don't i'm leaving now so yeah but i don't think anything attached no no i I didn't mean to suggest that either um didn't mean to be rude or anything it just was kind of like exploring for me like before before you mentioned the evil possibly being an evil entity where my mind was going was that what was in there seemed to be the and this is coming from a storyteller's mind so if i was writing this story what in what was in there seemed to be the axe killer and then you were playing the role of when you were downstairs maybe that person's father of like you know or the spirit of that person's father who maybe was dead at the time or learned about it while still alive but is dead now and is just like hey you f- you big fuck up you know like <laughs> You want to mess with somebody, mess with me, right? And it was using mm-hmm. you as a vessel. And then upstairs, very obviously, you were the kids. You're like, it's it's late. We got to go to bed. It's bedtime, you know? But all of that could just be whatever that was, messing with you, you know, taking turns between the two of you and, and having you play out, like play house, basically. Yeah, because most of the time I was the aggressor or the aggravated or the agitated one. And Ethan was sort of just quiet, reserved, kind of, uh, I don't want to say like submissive, but just he, there was like no opposition within him at all. You know, like there wasn't any kind of, we shouldn't do that. Really the only time that would happen is when he would suggest that we go outside and take a break. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to him every time. I'm like, okay, if you think we should take a break, we'll take a break. Yeah. It was just the whole time you're in that house at like, basically straps up a bunch of strings to you and uses you as a puppet 
makes you feel whatever it wants you to feel and think and do and it's just it's so strange i, I don't really know how to explain it other than like it's an absolute mind fuck <laughs> that's the best way to describe it it'll mess with your brain in a way that you like i still think about it even now you know it was going on two weeks now since we had been there and it f still feels like it happened yesterday well, I hope that talking through it on the podcast today and that going through the footage and processing all of that and creating the final piece of the video is therapeutic and, and that you're able to work through whatever's still clinging on to you, whatever emotions those are, um, whatever trauma that is, really, and that you're able to let it go throughout that process. I think I will. Once I get to the actual editing part and I'm able to sit through all the evidence and figure out what we had captured if anything ties up to what we were saying or doing it'll give me a lot of resolution because right now it's just it's like waiting to get to that point you know I'm working on other things right now so I can't focus on Velisca, but that's that's like all I've been wanting to do since I've gotten home and I can't so you know like you said I think once I'm able to sift through everything it'll give me a bit of resolution and I can kind of you know move on thanks so much for coming on the show mike and sharing um this incredible story the video is out now on charm city paranormal's youtube page and mike do you want to tell people where they can find all your stuff yeah you can find me on instagram twitter facebook all at charm city paranormal that's really all the socials that i have right now I can't wait to watch the video. We're recording this before the video comes out because I was so excited to hear the story. But listeners now can can go right now and, and check it out. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, I guess we'll roll the credits. Thanks for having me. Haunting Season is written and created by Joshua Sterling Bragg. That's me. And is a joint production of Mac Gielan and Believe Limited. This episode was executive produced by Mac Gielan, Ryan Gielan, Patrick James Lynch. And creative support came from Cody Dugan, Jessica Richmond, Mel Forrest, and my wife, Courtney Barber. You can find different content from Haunting Season on all of our platforms. YouTube has the scary stories. Instagram has spooky photos and updates. TikTok has horror movie recommendations and reviews. And we're now on the app Hi-Ho, where you can contribute to the show. Also, if you want to send something to me or Self. We've got a P.O. box now. Send anything cursed, weird, witchy, or just plain fun, and I'll add it to my shelf of oddities and shout you out on TikTok. Send stuff to P.O. Box 9681, Glendale, California, 91226. All this information is in the show notes below. Thanks for listening, friends, and remember, we're more likely to survive if we stick together. I'll see you next time.